0: It is uh, sometimes in people's lives you feel like things come crashing down around you. I don't know if you've had that moment, or as in my life, moments. Uh, but sometimes things kind of come crashing down around us. Now, sometimes it's you yourself that comes crashing down. Uh, As this guy learned, this is actually live footage from the parachute jump that happened uh, two weeks ago from when our guys and girls went parachute
1: jumping. After 700 feet, he knew the reserve chute would make little difference. Michael checked his altimeter, 1,100 feet, 800 feet, 650 feet. He decided to release his reserve chute as he feared it snagged in the main chute and failed to open. Michael was now 15 seconds from impact. He waved goodbye to the camera at 530 feet and believed he would die.
0: That was a bounce. Michael crashed into
1: a thicket of blackberry bushes. His buddy, Jonathan King, swooped to his side.
0: He survived. See, wives, that's what you should have been worried about with your husbands last week. <laughs> crashing down around you, or sometimes it's you. For me, my crashing first crashing down that I remember was in fifth grade at the Lincoln Park Pond in Superior, Nebraska. It was uh, March-ish, which is just early enough where there's ice on the pond. And I had accepted a dare on behalf of uh, my buddies, Troy uh, Covey and Marcus Gonzalez, to walk across the frozen pond. And if you've ever done this, if you're like a northern persuasion, you might, for, like, you might recognize the familiar cracking sound that happens. And that moment of cracks and then the you're sizing up which way I could get to fast enough. And as I was sizing that up, it went <laughs> And I was uh, neck deep in uh, what appeared to be very cold, although it felt hot, as I recall, water. And all I could think was, oh, I'm going to be in so much trouble. Um, I mean, it didn't even occur to me I could die. It was like, but if my dad got a hold of me, then th- that was an option. So I basically spent, my, my <laughs> I think it was Marcus Gonzalez grabbed a tree branch and reached it out across and, and pulled me out. And I basically spent the next couple hours uh, stripped down to my tidy whities and we'd made a little campfire uh, so that I could dry my clothes so that my parents would never know what I had done. <laughs> and I didn't tell them until long after I had graduated <laughs> that I had actually done that. There were many things my mom, uh, it was actually, uh, honestly, when my mom passed away, it might sound cheesy, but I was really, that was one of my prayers, God, don't tell her everything. <laughs> I, I know, fully knows, you're fully known, but j- there's, don't, there's a couple things. So, falling out of a plane, falling through ice, but I think this one tops it all as far as crashing down around us. This was in Seattle, Washington, uh, Woodenville. Leroy and Jerry Cinnamon, how about that name? We're home watching the Seahawks get demolished on TV when, uh, when the thing landed in their living room, it says. This is a quote from Jerry. I thought that he fell through the attic, said Jerry, whose husband had just left the den where the family was watching the game. Quote Leroy, it made one great big kerbang and we thought something had exploded. When they rushed into the living room, what they saw were chunks of green blue ice scattered everywhere and a three foot by two foot hole through the ceiling and the roof of their one story home. Firefighters who responded from King County Fire District figured it had to be one of two things, the cinnamon said. Either it was frozen waste that fell from an airliner, or a meteorite from space. When the pieces of the thing started melting, however, there was no doubt about what it was. (laughs) Quote, Jerry, it stunk real bad. Sometimes things kind of come crashing down around you, causing a pretty big stink. And I look at Acts chapter 23, and I kind of wonder if that might be how Paul felt. Because he had, if you remember, always had a desire to go to Jerusalem. From the moment that he was called by God, stopped on the road at Damascus, he had this heart To go to his people, to the Jews, that he had cared deeply about them. And if you remember in Acts chapter 20, it was about a 20-year period of time where Paul had ultimately relented and and spent what would be about 20 years ministering in southern Europe and Asia, which is now Turkey, and three different trips that were real fruitful. But in chapter 20, he picks up again where he's like, "I, I need to go to Jerusalem, God and i don 't know if if that's your story, I know that it's been mine it's like I, I know you want me to do this, but I got a better idea like and, and if you if you're Paul, it makes perfect sense. He would actually say that he would say and I think it's Acts chapter twenty one where he would say but I, I was he was telling his story I'm i 'm called I was there when they martyred stephen and i i 'm one of them, and I was you know he, he was listing off his qualifications and then I love the the verse where, and then but he was recounting the story and then God told me it to the Gentiles go and so finally he did but here he is being drawn back and then he would say on this which would be his third missionary journey that he was going to Jerusalem and he said every city that I came to I was told there's gonna be trouble in Jerusalem you're gonna get beat If you go, in fact, Agabus, if you remember, the prophet who correctly prophesied that there would be a famine in Jerusalem, said, don't go. Because whoever, and you remember, he he took the belt, Paul's belt, and he tied it around his wrists and said, whoever this is, whoever owns this belt, this is going to happen to you. And Paul looked at that and said, I'm going. And they basically said, look, it's against my will, but go. And, And when I hear those words, if you go, it's against my will. I actually, it takes me back to a moment where I woke up on a sidewalk in Hebron, Nebraska. I'd come to, and the words ringing in my ear from my mother if you go to Hebron, it's against my will. Earlier that night, I had been with my buddy Marcus Gonzalez. You might see a pattern in my life. I'm not allowed to hang out with Marcus anymore, but. Marcus and I had a plan, because w- so I was in Superior, Nebraska, and 45 miles away was a little town called Hebron, Nebraska. Now, that was the hometown of Mary Yelm, and I was quite smitten by Mary Yelm. Unfortunately, my mother was not, and she, that night, she and I had just gotten transportation, which, by the way, is horrifying, because Maddie's gonna be getting a driver's license, and um, we'll make sure and give public warning. In the email, one good reason, but I'm, so Marcus and I cooked up this plan and let I me, mean, I don't know how many you guys have done this, but I did the, we're going to stay the night, I'm going to stay the night at Marcus's house. And Marcus is going to stay the night at my house. And we got into the little station wagon-ish thing that I drove, like Oldsmo Buick thing. And I, but the last words I remember, because my mom was many things, but not stupid. And she says, no, you're not going to Hebron, are you? Oh, no, mama. No, no, no. I would never do that lying through my teeth. And the last words as, as the door shut behind me, if you go to Hebron, it's against my will. And we drove to Hebron against her will. And that night, uh, it was uh, Marcus and I and Mary, and we were walking hand in hand. Not Marcus and I, but Mary. And, and Marcus was great because he was always the perfect third wheel, or, you know, date guy. And so we're uh, walking, and this car comes to a screeching halt in front of us. And it were two guys that I'm not 100% sure I should say their names because they're in prison. But I don't know for how much longer. So you know what I mean? So I'm just going to, two guys from Hebron. And they had jumped out of the car and uh, I was dating um, their town. This was Superior Hebron. If you're from a small town in the Midwest, you know that the football teams, the rivals. And so they're angry and inebriated and not in the mood. And so they uh, want Mary. And I'm, you know not big and and they are and so i'm like no no you know you can't and so they grab her and so i, I did something stupid i pushed one of them to, and, and told her to run and then marcus picked up a rock marcus was famous for many things one of them was this he's the only boy within a four county region that could kill a rabbit with a rock he was like a little mexican uh, david because he was uh, marcus gonzalez so he picks up the rock and I am swear I've seen it, he killed rabbits with rocks. And, and at point-blank range, and throws it right at one of the guys, and it goes, not here, but here, and hits him in the sternum. At which point he goes, it goes, and he goes. And then Marcus, Marcus did the other thing that he was famous for, which was fast, being fast. And he ran. <laughs> And so, it's me and these two dudes and I, in a very Wonder Years moment, (laughs) threw a punch, missed, and I don't remember much. (laughs) I do remember being kicked in the head a few times, and then I remember coming to with my ears actually quite literally ringing, but also ringing the words, If you go to Hebron, it's against my will. Now, unlike the frozen pond, I had to tell mom this because my eye was swollen shut. She was going to figure it out. <laughs> it was a long drive that night back to <laughs> Superior, Nebraska. My head was throbbing. My eye was swollen shut. I was humiliated in front of my girl. It's no fun to get beat up, right, in front of her, and, and nothing to show for it. <laughs> I wonder if that's maybe how Paul felt because He would say, I go to Jerusalem, I don't care if I get beat up, I don't care, I'll give my life. But not just for a beating for the sake of a beating, but for the sake of people's lives being changed. And he arrives in Jerusalem, and that first sermon that he preaches, he stands up and it causes a giant stink. It's going to cause a huge riot, so much so that the Roman soldiers who were in charge of policing the area pulled him out to save his life. Nothing to show for it. But he says to them at the end of chapter 22, I think he says, let me, let me have one more shot at him. Because now he's got a captive audience. One more shot at giving him the gospel. I know that God said, don't come here. I got one more shot at this. And we pick that up at... Chapter 23, verse 6, when he says, Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. When he says my brothers there, notice that, because I think that might mean that he was one of them when he was in town. Otherwise he would have addressed them as fathers. But it specifically looks like he might have, we know that he was a Pharisee, we know that he, was, he had authority, obviously, to go and to kill and to execute and to arrest Christians. But it looks like that he might be actually talking to his bros. Like 20 years ago, friends, he's in his hometown talking to his home boys. And he says to them in verse 7, when he said this, oh, no, verse, uh, let's go back. I'm one of you, the Sanhedrin, my brothers. I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, a dispute broke out. For those of you keeping track at home, this would be riot number two. A dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that there are no angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. I I don't know if Paul was using a technique here. If he was, it was clearly unsuccessful. But it feels like he was almost trying to sell the, okay, I know these guys at least know me. And they know that they believe in the, in the resurrection. So I'm going to give them something that would be relevant to them. And this will be the way that I can communicate the gospel. Obviously, I'm reading between the lines. But he says that he noticed some were Pharisees and some were Sadducees. The Sadducees, of course, did not believe in any of that. They did not believe in the angels or the spirit or the afterlife. That is why they are sad, you see. <laughs> Seminary humor. So he... Um, He speaks to the Pharisees, causes a giant riot, accomplishes nothing except for a huge fight and finds himself in the same position where the Romans have to go in and pull him out because they're afraid he's going to die. It says, verse 9, there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? And then the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He excuse me, ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks, which otherwise known as jail. Paul is uh, probably even a little bit embarrassed. If you remember in chapter 22, it actually says his friends came with him. His friends said, don't do this and they picked up their bags and they went with him anyway. And here's Paul. Again, he knew that there was going to be trouble, but I'm sure that he thought, of course he thought that there would be a huge revival that could break out. At least one person. I mean, I've done that before where you do the altar call, especially in the in the 90s when I'm a youth pastor and there's a lot of pressure to get the numbers and and nothing. Crickets. And and here's Paul. Got nothing. Not got nothing but a black eye, a bruised, uh, probably bruises all over, and a bruised ego. And now he's sitting in jail because he has dropped the ball. I don't know if you've ever been there before where you've done something that you, you thought was what you were supposed to do and, and failed. Or worse, done something you knew you shouldn't have done, did not follow the Lord and did it anyway, and here you are in the middle of a mess, in the middle of it crashing down around you, and the stench of your own stubbornness stinging up your life. Paul is sitting in prison with his beloved, the people he loved so much that he would say in Romans, I would be cursed if it meant that they could be saved, saying I would literally be damned to hell if they would be saved. And here he is, he had his moment, and nothing. And as, as he well knew, this could have been and, and actually would be his last moment to address them. And it's over. And it says here that, verse 11, which brings us to our, our text for tonight, and something I really would like you to notice. Paul, think of this. He's in a dark jail, wouldn't be comfortable. At, I mean, remember Danny who was here. Think about that style of a jail. You know no human rights uh, concern whatsoever and he says that the following night the Lord stood near Paul and said take courage If you've got a King James it says be of good cheer those are Jesus words the only time you'll ever see that phrase in the scripture it's when Jesus is saying it to someone he's saying it to someone who is scared someone who is sick someone who doesn't understand why it's happening the way it's happening the man that was with, in a palsy, I think, in Matthew nine. The woman with the issue of blood, which was Matthew nine. He would say to them, "Be of good cheer." When they were on the, the sea the, with Jesus and the disciples, he'd say to them, "Be be of good cheer. Take courage." And he's saying to Paul, "Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome." If you're a note taker. I'm going to ask you to jot this stuff down. If you're a prayer, maybe pray it in. If you're a thinker, just chew on it. And maybe it's gonna. you need to chew on it a little bit and take it home. I don't, We were out with the horse yesterday, with Ashley's horse, and, and we put the bit in, uh, in her mouth and a bunch of grass fell out. She clearly had been chewing on something and just needed to store it for a little bit later, which is sort of funny because when I first married Shannon, she would do that. She'd store food in her cheek. Do you remember that? Like we're at a dinner... And she'd be full but she didn't want to waste and then but here's the thing this is why this is fascinating because my daughter Madeline did the same thing so it's genetic apparently the storing of food in your cheeks so i'm saying to you you might need to store this in your cheeks and eat it a little bit later when you get home but take this in if anybody has a couch tonight i'm going to need it (laughs) Three things I want you to notice, three things I want you to chew on, three things I want you to put in your cheek and take home with you. I want the Lord maybe to speak to you in the way that he did to me. And the number one thing is notice that the Lord's appearing to Paul. When did he appear to Paul? Night, in his darkest hour. He could have showed up any moment. And in fact, it actually says the following night that he appeared to Paul. And understand this, that so too with you that it is oftentimes in our darkest hour that he appears to us. Because when it's going kind of hunky-dory, we got to get caught up in the hunky-dory part, don't we? In 1997, we were in Oklahoma, and I had promoted a show with a band called Cademan's Call. And it went extremely well, and we made money. I'm thinking... This is easy. I'll do this again. And so, and I was, I mean, literally that was during a phase in our life where we were, I was working as a waiter, I was booking bands, and I was giving plasma, whatever we could do to survive. So I'm thinking, booking bands, this is a no-brainer. So I promoted the three, so I did one in the fall, and then in the spring, I think is how this went down, I did three shows. Now, the good news about, uh, and bad news about promoting shows, is that when you make money, you make money. And when you lose money, you lose money, right? I know this sounds very, uh, easy but when I was 28 that didn't that part didn't sink in and so and when you do three of them you could lose three times as much money and so I say this because when we made money man I was awesome I might have given Jesus a fist bump you know uh, but I didn't really focus any relationship on him now in the spring that was a different story because we were gonna get hosed and I mean monumentally hosed with money I did not have to lose And I want you to know that during that darkest time of my life, I was praying fervently. I was worshiping purely. I'd go to the office early—you don't even know that—but I'd be at the office early, praying and getting charismatic about it. And and I—we broke even. Like God didn't uh, make him make money for us; He kept me from losing money. But it was a moment that I'll never forget because it was in that moment that my relationship with God took a step closer that's what Paul was happening to him he's in a dark moment of his own making arguably but he's there and it's in his darkest hour and the Lord appeared to him and the promise of that I will never leave you nor forsake you was one that Paul understood implicitly it's one that I get to learn over and over again and one that I I trust that if you're in a dark hour right now that you can experience Jesus that he will appear to you, Not only did he appear to him, but notice, secondly, that he stood by him. Get to the, uh, your Bible, Zechariah chapter 3. I'm going to give you a heads up so you have a little bit of time to get there. Paul would, because I'm sure that those will be the pages that are stuck together. Paul was alone. The Lord appeared to him, but then he stood beside him. Paul would tell Timothy in 1st, 2nd Timothy 2.13. It'll be close. That just because you are not faithful does not mean I am. That's my paraphrase of it. When you are faithless, I am faithful. I I cannot deny myself, I cannot disown my own. Being faithful to you and to I is not something that God chooses to do, it's who He is, it's what He does. He's faithful to us, but the point being that even when you're faithless, that he'll stand by you. I ask you to turn to Zechariah 3 because I want you to see something. When Jesus said the prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's good to know sometimes what happens in heaven, what his will in heaven is. And Zechariah 3 gives us an amazing picture of that. In verse 1, it says that he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Revelation 12 10 would tell us that he is the accuser of the brethren, that he is accusing you and I before the Father. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, and by the way, the angel of the Lord, whenever you see that in the Old Testament, parenthetically, this is what is called a Christophany. If you hang out with theologians long enough, you're going to be bored to tears, but you'll pick up some interesting stuff, and this is one of them. Christophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And we know this because when the angel of the Lord appears, oftentimes they would worship him. And if it was an angel, just a regular angel, they would rebuff the worship. But the angel of the Lord received Worship. That's important because this is a picture of heaven and Jesus standing beside us as our advocate, is what John would call him, our lawyer. If you've ever been to court, you even saw that maybe this last week, whether it's Michael Jackson trial or uh, Amanda Knox trial, that there's a lawyer that is advocating on behalf of someone who is accused. And here we see Jesus doing just that. Let's go to verse, no, I want to stay with that verse. The Lord rebuke you, because this is a beautiful verse. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? I have rescued this guy. And look at this, he says, Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Because the the finest clothes that we have, the, the, the robes of a royal high priest would be rags in the sight of our father that's how perfect he is and how much we need him and he would say to him to dress him everybody there dress him take off his filthy clothes and then he said to Joshua see I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you and then I said put a clean turban on his head put a a clean hat on him so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by a picture for you and me Because look where the angel of the Lord stood in verse 5. While the angel of the Lord stood by. Satan is not standing by him anymore. It's the angel of the Lord. It's Jesus standing by you. Just like he did for Paul. That he would stand beside him. And here's what I think often happens. The enemy will come and lie and say, he blew it. Paul was stubborn. Now, you might say, Darren, that's true. He was. That's not a lie. Here's why it's a lie. When Jesus went to the cross, what he did was pay for our sins and washed them away. The reason it's a lie is because it's not there anymore. In a trial situation, the case is dismissed because of lack of evidence. It's gone. And as Satan is accusing us, he's not winning because Jesus can say just that as our advocate. It's gone, Father. And God would say, I've forgiven, I've forgotten, I've taken their sins as far as the east is from the west. But if he can't do that, here's what then happens in our lives. Whether it is Satan whispering in your ears or oftentimes our own minds, we begin to lie to ourselves because of some religious thing, that I'm not good enough because of some philosophical thing that I can't do this. Paul would say, the writer of Hebrews, which may or may not have been Paul, said that the the Word of God is what? Sharper? It's quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and he would go on to say that it divides between the what? Soul and the spirit. Here's what that means. In my mind, in my soul, there are things that feel like they're true because I'm thinking them about myself I am weak. I, I'm not smart enough to do this. I got myself into this own. I, I got to get myself out of this mess. The word of God is what comes in and divides the soul and the spirit, because that is not what Jesus says about you. Jesus says, "I've given you new garments. I'm cleaning you and washing you white as snow. You are more than a conqueror. Go to the word and find promises. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." Paul would say in, his, in one of his letters, "I could be content." whether I have much or little, whatever the promises that God has for you, what that does is divide between the soul and the spirit and cuts away like surgery those things that would add on the cancer that would lie to you, attach itself and kill, kill, steal and destroy your life. That's what Jesus standing beside you can do. John would say that Jesus was the word become flesh And dwelling among us when Jesus is beside us he is telling you the truth here's why this is important to me and I hope maybe it's to you as well I kinda get this idea that if I can't do enough if I'm not praying enough if I'm not spiritual enough if I'm not reading my Bible enough it all becomes this enough game then I'm disqualified from doing anything. I can't say anything to my neighbor about the gospel. Look how my life is. I can't pray for that person. I'm too nervous and too scared. I don't, I'm afraid of it. And so we end up disqualifying ourselves because I'm not qualified, because I'm not, I don't know, the Bible, or whatever th- lies we believe, we disqualify ourselves. And then we think, well, since I'm not doing something big, I don't pastor a church, I didn't go to Haiti, I didn't go to Africa, that I'm not doing anything for the kingdom and we begin to just bind ourselves up. I don't know if you know what the word religion means but that's what it means to tie up, literally by the way, tie up. Jesus would say in Matthew 10 45 that if you just give a cup of water said to a prophet, right? But even to a little child in my name I noticed it. It's awesome. Not to congratulate yourself but to know that you did something Way more than the enemy. This is part of the lie. I'm not doing anything for the Lord. If you just so much as you give somebody a hug when they walked in and they needed it, he noticed. Hebrews would say that he is faithful to notice when our works, that he notices us. In Matthew 25, a little bit later, you can write it down, and there would be this parable of the talents, and you might remember this, that he would give his talents to Ten, this is a story of the master that uh, had three servants, and he would give ten talents to one, a talent equal to a year's salary. And he would give five to another. And then he would give one to another. And that when he returned, that the guy with ten doubled his money. The master said, rock on, that was awesome. And then he the same with the guy with five. But the guy with one, and I kind of resonate with that guy because and maybe you do, too, because a talent, if it's, if it's one year's salary, I'm not even sure we have one talent, right? Uh, you know what I mean? There's more month at the end of your money or the, your money, whatever the Ramsey thing is. You're, you're, I don't even have a talent to last a year. What good am I? And what can I do? And so I'm going to hide it. And what's interesting is the servant would say to him, Lord, I knew that you're harsh and that you have sown You know, I'm going to read this to you because I don't want to get this wrong. This is really important. That you reap where you have not sown. Verse 24, 25, you can go there later. Then the man who received one talent came and said, Master, I, I knew that you were a hard man. King James is a harsh man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground And see, here is what belongs to you. That used to scare me kind of bad. Because here it is in the Bible, he's a harsh man. But notice what the master says back to him. And his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, not good. Not on the right foot there. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, you should have put your money, uh, my money, on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I could have received it back with interest. Here's why this is important to us. Look what he did not say. He repeated back that I, I've sown, harvest where I didn't sow. Right? He repeats back what the servant said, but what, he didn't repeat back the part about you're a, I'm a harsh man. Because you know why? He's not. He's kind. He's a good master. This guy was wasn't the believer. He didn't understand that God is not harsh. And if I can leave you with anything today is that God is not harsh. He knows what you've done. And the enemy would lie to you and say, you haven't done anything. What good are you in my kingdom? You know, know, those things we just tie ourselves up and and make ourselves worthless. And that's not what Jesus said. What he's saying is, I don't even care if it's a little cup of water to the kids over here in the preschool. I noticed it I'm not harsh I'm kind I don't have some bar that you can't reach to because the third thing not only did God the Lord appear to Paul not only did the Lord uh, stand next to Paul but the Lord's evaluation of Paul was hey look you, you at least you spoke to the Jews you, you at least preached my gospel now Paul will be thinking yeah, it looks to me like I just caused a riot best I can tell that's all I did but God would say to him the Lord would say to him I'm finding the good even in what you did wrong it's what he does he makes old things new again he redeems our situations and sure maybe he would have preferred that Paul do what he asked and go to Rome now the good news is, is Paul was getting there anyway all expense paid trip in a Roman prison ship he's going He's going to get there. But Paul, it wasn't the Lord saying, look, you got yourself into this mess. You get yourself out. No, no. He says to him, Paul, you you preach the gospel. His evaluation of this situation is unlike ours in that he saw the good in it. I would say in just a couple of minutes that we have remaining together today, I want to encourage you to step out because again you know sometimes you might be feel like well if you say that though that's all I gotta do is give him a cup of water and then I'm done it's why religion is so dangerous because we we want it to be big and grandiose and so we we sort of put these rules and place and policies and make you can't do this unless you've gone through the membership classes or you can't you know uh, clean the church if you're not a member all this crazy stuff that we do putting all these hoops and hurdles and fences you got to jump over to get into the body make us feel like we're disqualified I didn't go to seminary guess what neither did Paul neither did any of the people that wrote the Bible they had the Holy Spirit don't disqualify yourself because I'm not good enough because even in this situation I bring up the Paul situation because I think an argument can be made that he legitimately blew it and God still appeared to him stood by him evaluated him and said it's okay Jesus didn't make his, the disciples go through membership classes he just sent them out and they did stuff and sometimes they did it wrong they came back and the demon didn't come out and he said yeah but okay let me show you why and here's what happened and then Jesus and the demon came out or I mean one moment Peter draws his sword chops the guy's ear off which means he wasn't aiming for the shins if you know what I'm saying he was playing for keeps and Jesus is like, no, 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 you no, know, I apologize, He put that back on, and, and he says, that's not how it's going to be, and sometimes I think that because we think we're going to blow it, we just don't do anything, because I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. Well, newsflash, you probably are. We're 18 months in, and I don't think I could put the mistakes on one page. Probably it would take a, a long list of mistakes that, that I have made in this journey, and Some of them I look back on going, oh, wow, that was stupid. And the good news is there's some things we did that were genius that we had nothing to do with. The Lord gets in all of it, and he's not looking for us to do it perfectly. He's just looking for us to take a step, knowing that he can redeem it. And I promise you he does it this way because it's part of our walk with him is the risk. Part of our walk with him is taking that step of faith, not knowing whether or not it's going to be good or bad, whether it's the right thing to do or I should maybe not and we always talk ourselves out of it right oh, I don't want to that person looks like they need a hug but I, that might be weird I really should say something to that dude but oh it's kind of weird I don't know him and you talk yourself out of it and, and, and here's the thing that we talk ourselves out of it I mean what's the worst that could happen you prayed for somebody that's it that's the worst that could happen You know what I mean? We talk ourselves out of it. And and the the piece that I take from it is when I do it right or when I do it wrong, Jesus will appear to you even if it's in the darkest hour and you messed it up. You moved to town because you're going to get your music thing going and here you are working as a waiter. Man, may the Lord appear to you today. May he speak to you. May he evaluate your situation in the way that he sees it, not the way you see it. My job that I took, I, I, I took this, made this career change, and it's been an unmitigated disaster. It's my own mess. Man, might the Lord appear to you. Might he stand by you. Might he evaluate your situation, not in the way you see it, but in the way that he does. And might you, at the end of all of this, be able to say, good cheer. Good cheer, Darren. Pucker up, little camper. <laughs> it's not so bad. good cheer to you and to i take courage it's going to be okay and those little things that we've done that we didn't think mattered man i tell you what they matter i don't have any money so what be of good cheer move into whatever god is calling you to do i know this notice in the parable of the talents what you did not see a servant with no talents we've all got something there was none with a zero. And he would say, I often wondered, why did he give the one to the ten and because it, if I don't have any? But he's saying, as I notice even the little things, and the guy could have doubled it. It's still doubling your money. One plus one is what? Two. It's double. We all have something we could double in the kingdom. All of us. And as our uh, musicians come back to worship with us just a few minutes more, might you be of good cheer this morning? I know some of you moved here from a long ways away, and you might be questioning whether this was the right thing. Some of you have a job situation that isn't working. Some of you have a marriage situation that isn't working. Relationships, a sickness, and the words of Jesus, if nothing else, would ring in your ears today to be of good cheer. That He wants to appear to you, to stand by you, and speak over you, and evaluate the situation in the way that he sees it. Father, we ask for your word to be a lamp to our feet, that it would shine and illuminate into our situation. Lord, I know that whatever situation that anybody is facing, including and not limited to me, that you shine your light into it, and you can find the good. Your promise was that in all things that you will work together for the good of those that love you. Might you show us that today, your evaluation of my situation, your evaluation of their situation. And I believe that you're going to speak to some of us right now as we worship. I believe that your spirit will do what you say. You'll speak to our hearts and our minds and face a situation, even if it's one of our own making, Lord, that you can look into it and find the good in it to evaluate it that we could be of good cheer. It's in your name that we pray, amen.